Oral questions by members? Leader of the Official Opposition. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, anti-Semitism is on the rise in Canada, more than doubling in the past decade. Despite representing just over 1% of the Canadian population, the Jewish community is the target of a staggering 56% of all reported hate crimes in the country. In British Columbia last year alone, there were 51 cases of vandalism, 53 incidents of harassment, violent attacks, and 137 cases of online hate. Now, to combat this serious problem, we need a crystal clear and comprehensive understanding of what constitutes anti-Semitism. Now, the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance has brought forward a definition of anti-Semitism based on the lived experiences of Jews around the world and provides a strong framework for identifying and fighting this insidious form of hate. So my question to the Premier is simple. Will he stand up and adopt the IRA definition of anti-Semitism here in British Columbia? Minister of Post-Secondary Education. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker, and I appreciate the Leader of the Opposition asking, uh, asking the question. <clears throat> and as a, a Jewish member of this caucus and as a Jewish member of this House, um, I um, am grateful for the opportunity to talk about the challenges of, of hatred and racism and anti-Semitism. In fact, um, this has been work that uh, we started as a government in 2017, identifying uh, ways to address and combat anti-Semitism um, and racism and mitigate its impacts. And I'm very proud to say that uh, working together with, uh, the, with CJA, uh, the Canadian Israel Jewish Affairs um, organization that uh, under the leadership of the previous Premier John Horgan, uh, this government has adopted and is working with the IRA definition of, uh, of anti-Semitism as, uh, as a government. We've adopted it uh, because the federal government has, has adopted as well in demonstrating leadership and we're joining um, all these other um, jurisdictions in making sure that that's the functional definition of anti-Semitism here in British Columbia. Leader of the Official Opposition. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. The only problem with that answer is that they haven't adopted it into law. Uh, it's important that when we take a stand against hate, violence, and anti-Semitism, uh, we have to do so with courage. And it takes more than mere words. It calls for concrete legislative action. Ontario, Saskatchewan, Alberta, Manitoba, and as the member noted, the federal government, indeed, have all taken concrete steps to protect Jewish communities by formally adopting the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance definition of anti-Semitism. For years, Jewish groups have been asking this BC government to follow suit and formally adopt the definition, including B'nai B'rith, in a letter to the Premier just earlier this week. The IHRA definition is world-leading as a clear and comprehensive example of what anti-Semitism means. Refusing to formally adopt the IRA definition through legislation sends an unmistakable message in the face of a growing rise of hate, bigotry, and prejudice against the Jewish community. So again, to the Premier, will the Premier listen to the voices of Holocaust survivors and their descendants follow the, the lead of the federal government and take immediate legislative action 
to formally adopt the IRA definition of anti-Semitism right here in British Columbia. Minister of Post-Secondary Education. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Speaker. And as I've said, stated in this House, that this government has adopted the IRA definition of anti-Semitism. We recognize they really have a hard time listening to answers, Mr. Speaker. I don't quite understand what their challenge is. We've been working together with the organized Jewish community, making sure that we understand and that we hear their voices about how to best proceed around this. I know that Sija is, um, is very um, uh, supportive of the work that we have been doing, not just around adopting IRA as our, um, as our definition for how to, how to work uh, and address anti-Semitism, but our work to invest in Holocaust education, because we know how important that is, uh, we know that uh, we, we've been investing in, in the uh, public schools. We've been investing in um, um, and supporting the JCC. I think that's also critically important. We've delivered $25 million as a government to make sure that the Jewish Community Center uh, can redevelop and help uh, continue to educate British Columbians about the impacts of the Holocaust and to address the root causes of anti-Semitism, Mr. Speaker, because we know that how important that is. Member for Vancouver, Langara. Mr. Speaker, I certainly recognize uh, what is occurring uh, within the Jewish community, including in my riding of Vancouver, Langara, and the JCC, the Jewish Community Center, uh, as the uh, minister just responded to. But the problem with that response is that it admits some pretty significant facts about where this government has been including the Premier's personal active opposition to adopting the IRA definition of anti-Semitism here in BC. For years, I have urged this government to formally adopt that definition in BC, which led to the creation of an internal government briefing note dated May 26, 2022. That briefing note accessed under FOI makes it very clear that the multiculturalism and anti-racism branches of government received specific direction from the then Attorney General not to adopt the IRA definition. He personally intervened to direct that the definition not be formally adopted through legislation in BC. The question is simple. Why did the Premier personally block the adoption of the IRA definition of anti-Semitism in BC through legislation? Minister of Post-Secondary Education. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Well, first of all, I have to say we'd already adopted it. We had already adopted it. I, again, they really do have a hard time listening to an answer. Please proceed now, Thank Mr. you very much, Mr. Speaker. I, again, we had already formally taken a look at the definition. We've engaged with CJA. We've uh, created a policy about how we are working forward with this. And, and again, the leader of the opposition continues to interrupt me, Mr. Speaker. I don't understand what's so hard about listening to an answer. Members, we'll have some order, please. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. So again, um, and so we had already taken it, that in as part of our work around anti-racism. Uh, 
Um, and we've been working closely with the organized Jewish community that let us know that that was absolutely acceptable to them in terms of addressing the root causes of anti-Semitism. It works for the organized Jewish community, Mr. Speaker. That's what they said would work for them, and we've worked with them to create this opportunity. Now, however, Mr. Speaker, Community is how you get things done, Mr. Speaker, and that's what we were doing, is working with community. However, Mr. Speaker, I do want to point out that the people on the other side were the people who got rid of the Human Rights Commissioner, Mr. Speaker. That shows you how much they care about people's human rights. We brought it back, Mr. Speaker, because we work with community to make sure that everyone is safe, regardless of their religion, their faith, their gender, their colour. Member Vancouver Langara. Mr. Speaker, in the six years that this government has been dragging its feet on adopting the IRA definition of anti Semitism in British Columbia, there have been nearly 1,600 anti Semitic incidents here in our province. 1,600. Ontario, Saskatchewan, Alberta, Manitoba, all of the Western provinces except for BC have adopted this definition. In legislation, across government, that is what we've been asking for. In the same period that the letter from the former Premier was provided, which did not in any way formally adopt the IRA definition of anti-Semitism in BC, the Premier, in his role as the Attorney General, gave that specific direction not to adopt the definition. The briefing note dated May 22, 2022, tells a very different story as to the reasons for why that was not adopted. On page two, it highlights the quote, difficulties of adopting the definition in the current political climate, end quote. 28 countries, Mr. Speaker, including Canada, and every Western province except BC have adopted the definition. The only difficult political climate is within the NDP, which not only refused to adopt the definition, but also had over 40 riding associations oppose the IRA definition of anti-Semitism during a convention 18 months ago. This opposition includes the federal ridings for the members from North Vancouver Seymour and Burnaby North, as well as the Minister of Mental Health and Addictions and the Attorney General. The Premier must prioritize combating hate, bigotry, and prejudice against the Jewish community over internal NDP politics. Will the Premier set internal NDP politics aside and do the right thing by formally adopting the IRA definition of anti-Semitism here in BC through legislation? Minister of Post-Secondary Education. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Well, I have to say um, how hard it is as a Jewish person to sit in this place who has been working diligently with the Jewish community, with the community, to identify how to best address anti-Semitism. And to hear the member opposite suggest that, that this government isn't doing that work, isn't a per I take that uh, as a personal affront, I have to say, Mr. Speaker. Um, because we have been working diligently with the community. The community wants their government to work with 
them. It is exactly how we have been proceeding. The member refers to federal writings. Some of my colleagues are connected to federal writings. Others are not. However, I think it's really important, and this I think I want all members to listen very carefully. You need to work with the community. It is what we have been doing, and it's what we will continue to do. Leader of the Third Party. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. I've been reflecting on the Minister of Environment's answers to my questions yesterday. He seemed to think that I was asking if the former Premier had lobbied him since leaving office, but that's not what I was asking. My question was whether the former Premier had discussed the issue of referring text pollution of the Elk Valley to the International Joint Commission while he was still Premier. What I think the public has a right to know is just how involved the former Premier was in advocating on behalf of tech before he resigned as Premier and began negotiating with tech about a board appointment to their spin-off company, Elk Valley Resources. I've read the entire FOI package. For over 12 months, two members of the Premier's office were point on the discussion around the referral of tax pollution to the IJC. In the end, two ministers sent a letter to the federal minister arguing she not refer the selenium pollution issue to the IJC. One can logically assume that the former premier, whose staff were point, knew this letter was being sent by his two ministers. My question is to the Minister of Forests, the former Minister of Mines. Did he have conversations with the former premier about whether or not to lobby the federal government to not refer the Elk Valley pollution issue to the IJC before the letter to the Minister of Foreign Affairs was sent in April 2022. Minister of Environment and Climate Change Strategy. Thank you very much, Honourable Speaker. And there are very few issues, if any, with respect to, uh, to the environment, with respect to international obligations relating to the environment, with respect to uh, impacts of mining or work in which my ministry is engaged about which I have not had numerous discussions and meetings. However, to the best of my recollection, I never had a discussion about the IJC with the former Premier. Leader, third party supplemental. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker, and I, I thank the Minister for uh, a clear answer to that. Um, uh, it's, it's fascinating um, because the FOI package paints a pretty clear picture. The issue is that the former senior decision maker of this province, whose staff members from his office were heavily involved regularly involved in the discussions around trying to prevent a company's pollution issue being referred to the International Joint Commission. Less than a year later, that former decision maker announced that he is taking a position on that company's board. This isn't about metallurgical coal for steel or bicycles or windmills. This is about power, influence, and access. And ultimately, it's about public trust in government and how decisions are made in this province, something that the members on that side of the House used to be very passionate about. 47 lobbying meetings, 
dozens and dozens of emails from the Premier's office about the referral to the IJC, public expressions of frustration by First Nations on both sides of the border, a letter from two ministers Question to the federal member. government making the case against the IJC referral, and a former Premier announcing his board appointment less than 24 hours after his resignation as MLA. My question, Honourable Speaker, is through you to the Premier. What does the Premier say to the people of British Columbia in light of this timeline and these outcomes? Minister of Environment and Climate Change Strategy. Thank you very much, Honourable Speaker. I, uh, I gave the member a clear answer yesterday. I gave the member a clear answer today. Uh, I mean, anybody can take a sequence of events and try to connect them. But I can assure the member, and I can assure every member of this legislature, that when positions are taken by ministers of this government or by the government as a whole, it's taken after a fulsome analysis of the issues that are under consideration. Now, the member would have the people of British Columbia believe that absent an international joint commission, no work whatsoever is being done on water quality as a result of metallurgical coal mining in the southeast of this province. And that is simply not true. What has been going on on a regular basis for years is consultation with the Tanaha, consultation with the United States state governments, consultation and discussion uh, with academics on both sides of the border about appropriate uh, concentrations to set uh, water quality levels. That's the work we do. That's the work we're continuing to do. That's the work to which we are absolutely committed, and we're committed to fast track that work, the acceptability, the agreement of the nations, the acceptance of a proper and appropriate water quality uh, level in the Elk Valley so that the economy can continue to work and the fish and the people who depend on the water can continue to be safe. And an international joint commission Thank doesn't you, accomplish that. It's the work with scientists, Thank you, nations, and people on either side of the border that accomplishes that. Member for Nechaco Lakes. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. For months, this legislature has been hearing about the official opposition asking questions about violent offenders, and government, of course, has been responding with programs as well as political rhetoric. But it's time to quit playing politics. It's time to quit allowing Trudeau's Liberals to handcuff this political system. Members, I need to hear the question. If it is time to quit playing politics and quit allowing Trudeau's federal Liberals to handcuff this government's justice system. We need to remove prolific offenders and violent offenders from our streets so that we can feel safe. I am prepared to use the notwithstanding clause to put criminals away and take back our streets. And let me be crystal clear. If you choose to repeatedly commit crimes or commit violent offenses, I am not concerned about violating your rights. I am concerned about getting justice for your victims. The Premier has spent much of his law career standing up for criminals. It's about time for this province to stand up for victims. Um, to the Premier, will you stand up for British Columbians and finally show that there are consequences for violent offenders? Minister for Public Safety. 
Thank you, uh, Honourable uh, Speaker, and I appreciate the question uh, from the member. Um, I think one of the cornerstones of our system of government is that we have the legislative, which makes the laws, and we have an independent judicial system. Uh, and I think that is the best place um, for our criminal justice system to do its work. Uh, I don't believe that uh, governments should be using the notwithstanding clause. I think what governments need to do is to work with the uh, police agencies, uh, the men and women who are doing the law enforcement in this province, who have a very difficult job. Um, it's our job to work with those who are responsible for the Criminal Code of Canada to get the changes that are needed. Uh, it's our responsibility to work with local communities in terms of the challenges that they're facing. That's the approach that, uh, that needs to be taken. That's the approach that we are taking and will continue to take. Member for Nechaco Lakes. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker, and I appreciate uh, the Minister's answer. Uh, but the Minister has talked a lot about hiring more RCMP officers, and he's also talked about creating the hubs, and these are all good ideas. But with, with the understaffed RCMP, plus other issues, it's hard to expect results. Let's face reality. BC is short more than 400 RCMP officers, and the soft number is closer to 1,500. But with 400 plus retiring annually, the RCMP recruitment is just not keeping up. Filling positions and burning out officers will be a growing problem. And I know the RCMP are doing the best they can for us in this province. But the police in BC need help. They need help from this government. And the people want to take back our streets. And instead of pointing fingers and placing blame, when will this government put the needs of victims first and get these prolific offenders off our streets? Minister of Public Safety. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. And I, again, I appreciate the question. And there's a, a lot of questions in there to, uh, to try uh, and, and deal with, uh, Honourable Speaker. Um, but I will, I will address uh, one of the questions, part of, of uh, his question, in terms of the, the recruitment um, and the vacancy patterns that we see. Um, it is a complicated and complex issue involving uh, both the federal policing line, the provincial policing line, and the municipal policing line, because each have a different role to play. Um, I can tell you that when it comes to the provincial policing line, that, uh, that the, the number of vacancies, hard vacancies, not soft vacancies, is about 277. Uh, that's why we put in place the funding that we did to fill those vacancies. And I can tell you it's not a question of the province the having chair. to go and ask for those vacancies to be filled. Um, the, uh, those are done by the, uh, with the federal government, and I can tell you that my ministry has already been working with the, uh, the RCMP uh, in terms of prioritizing areas for the provincial uh, business line. I have spoken with uh, Minister Mendicino uh, shortly after the announcement in terms of the importance uh, British Columbia places on, on filling that, that particular, uh, the provincial line, the largest investment uh, in police resources in the history of this province, and in fact, one of the largest uh, in the history of, uh, this, uh, of this country. At the same time, working with uh, local governments, and I can tell uh, that the, uh, the member of the community that he represents, uh, in the case of Vanderhoof, that the municipal policing line, again, we recognize uh, that we need to ensure that we've got the recruits coming through. We get about 30% uh, of the troop out of, out of depot, and that uh, we, they go through about 900 officers a year, uh, come through there. About 70% don't make it. British Columbia gets a, a, a third of that. 
Uh, last year, we received 258 um, officers. Thank you, uh, Minister. I can tell you that we work with the federal government and the RCMP uh, to deal with the very challenging issue of vacancies that the member has raised. Member for Surrey White Rock. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The abrupt closure of SFU's football program has come as a surprise to family, communities, most importantly, the players. Everyone that has been involved with this proud program for the last half century is well aware of its significance. Louis Pisaglia, Glenn Jackson, Sean Millington, Terry Bailey, John McDonald, all players that have gone on to lead in the CFL, be great community leaders. The SFL, SFU football community is united in finding a solution. They have support from alumni, from local leaders, but we have heard nothing from this government in terms of standing up for this program and standing up for these players who are fighting, fighting to keep their season alive. My question is to the Premier. Will he make the call? Will he stand up and will he address this with the President of SFU and get this football program reinstated today? Minister of Post-Secondary Education. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Speaker, and I, I thank the member for the question. Um, I have been um, hearing from uh, certainly some of the, the football players and the coaches uh, that coach in my community um, who, have, who, are, who have expressed concern about a decision that the uh, SFU has made. Um, and I've also spoken with the president of, of uh, SFU um, to understand how they are supporting these student athletes there is tremendous disappointment. Um, this has been a, a, a fledgling uh, team for a number of years. Um, the post-secondary institutions, and I know the member opposite um, appreciates this, that they, they do operate independently of government. They have the, um, the operational responsibility of making programmatic decisions based on the best interests of the students and the student athletes. Um, I do understand, Mr. Speaker, as well, that this is before the courts, that there is a, a court action being taken. So it would be inappropriate for me at this point to, um, to say anything further uh, on the matter. Member for Prince George Valemount. Thank you very much, Honourable Speaker. Well, the Premier gave specific direction in his mandate letters to ministers, all of them, to champion good ideas regardless of where they came from. But so far, those are just empty words. Sudden cardiac arrest can happen to anyone, anywhere, at any time. And when it does, every single minute counts. Armed with, a CPR, with CPR and automated external defibrillators, we can double the odds of survival. That is why I have repeatedly introduced the Defibrillator Public Access Act requiring visible visibility, registered, and maintained AEDs in public buildings. Ken Karuska, a survivor, says this in support of the bill. I am alive today because of an AED in a hockey arena. Simply put, AEDs save lives. We must do all we can to ensure that people like me can go home to their families, end quote. British Columbians have no idea why a bill that has the potential to save lives has broad support has been introduced multiple times in this legislature, is stubbornly refused by this Premier to be called. So could the Premier stand up today and explain to British Columbians how he continues to block a debate about a bill that could save lives? Minister of Health. Well, 
Thank you, uh, Honorable Speaker. And like the Honorable Member, I'm, a, I'm strongly committed to a network of AEDs across BC. It's why we work so closely, for example, with the Heart and Stroke Foundation on those issues, why we support that network with them and the growth of that network with them, and why we'll continue to do that. This actually, Honorable Speaker, continues the work that had been done under the previous government in the same regard. And we continue to build out that network, and we're going to continue to do so. Um, I look forward, because I think there will be an occasion for us shortly in estimates to have a longer discussion with the member on the question. But I think, uh, I think uh, it's fair to say that everybody in BC understands and supports um, the growth and the effectiveness of our AED system. The, the, uh, you know, the education required for people, because it, it also will require educational support to do that. And I look forward to continuing, as I have for a number of years, uh, and the Honourable Member knows um, her intervention, and I understand the sort of community basis and where she came to her intervention and her bill, and I intend to continue to work with her and people across the community, including the Heart and Stroke Foundation, to improve the network in BC, and that's a work that we're going to continue, and I believe uh, that we'll continue to do together. Member for Peace River North. Thanks, uh, Honourable Speaker. More than seven years after the declaration of a public health emergency, the province continues to set one grim record after another. 2,314 deaths in 2022, a record high. 197 deaths just in March, a record for any March. Record 30-day average of overdose calls in March Highest overdose calls ever on a single day in March, on March 22nd. Unprecedented 19-day streak of 100-plus overdoses. Honourable Speaker, behind every single one of those numbers is a loved one. Behind every single one of those numbers is a family that grieves. I'm one of those families. Honourable Speaker, as someone who sat on the Health Committee, the Select Standing Committee on Health, which was chaired by the now Attorney General, made up of members from both sides of the House, we heard firsthand incredibly heartbreaking stories of those who have lost ones to addiction. Our committee identified gaping holes and a lack of urgency from this NDP government. And I'll list off the top three. Rapidly scale up flexible evidence-based low barrier comprehensive continuum of care. Leverage and strengthen existing mechanisms Question member. to hold the health authorities accountable and identify the touch points. Honourable Speaker, six months later, here we are doing the same thing over and over again and somehow expecting different results. So my question, Honourable Speaker, to the Premier. Who has chosen to ignore Is there a the committee's member? recommendations and double down on more of the same? Question member. Honourable Speaker, why is this Premier continuing to double down on doing the same thing and expecting different results? Minister of Mental Health and Addictions. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. And I thank the member for 
for raising for raising the question and uh, want to uh, take the opportunity to reflect on the most recent coroner's report and of course agree that each of these deaths is tragic they represent our neighbors our friends members of our community and I know we all extend condolences to those who have lost loved ones in this unrelenting toxic drug crisis. Mr. Speaker, we have taken uh, numerous steps to, uh, to match the recommendations from the Select Standing Committee. Of course, much of that work, and we are very grateful for the collaboration across this House in that work. Those recommendations, in many respects, confirmed uh, work that we are doing across our healthcare system with our community partners, scaling up harm reduction, uh, making, uh, making harm reduction services more broadly available, working to scale up treatment um, uh, opportunities, opening hundreds of beds, investing in upstream mental health services for children and youth, working across that entire continuum with an unprecedented billion dollar investment in this budget. We will continue to do that work with our health authorities, with our community partners, and uh, I know that uh, working, working together, we know, is the way to get that, that we will be able to address these challenges. Bell ends question period.